Welcome to Invested in Climate. Protecting the planet and decarbonizing the global economy is the challenge of our time. We all have a role to play, and the opportunity we face is unprecedented. Invested in Climate aims to help people do more to address climate change through their work, investments, lifestyle, and activism. I'm your host, Jason Rissman. I support a growing community of top climate and ESG leaders as the Chief Experience Officer at Nations Wealth, and I'm an advisor to the climate practice at IDEO. I'm also an investor and startup advisor, and when it comes to climate action, I know I'll be a lifelong learner always looking to have more impact. If you like what you hear, give us a good rating on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you found us. Sign up for updates and suggest ideas for future episodes at investedinclimate.com. Follow us on social, subscribe, and spread the word. Thanks for joining. Young people are able to see what is possible and demand the full scope of change in a way that adults, I think, are really often scared to. They're scared that we're not going to win. They're scared that we're going to get told no. You actually have to be really bold if you're going to face down this scale of vision. I think that has attracted a lot of people to us is the boldness of our vision, the willingness to hope and believe, and the willingness to be committed to the scale of transformation that is necessary to stop the climate crisis. Hi, folks. No matter who I talk to, whether startup founders, investors, or corporate sustainability leaders, when I ask what is needed to really move the needle on climate change, everyone always comes back to the importance of policy change, of making climate an electoral issue, and holding political leaders accountable to take bold action. And there's no denying that in recent years, one of the most important forces making bold climate action more of a priority has been the voice of young people. Their cry for change and their committed activism have been impossible to ignore, and the policy they fought for have gained real headway. In the United States, at the center of youth climate organizing is an organization named the Sunrise Movement. They've been around for less than a decade, but have mobilized effectively and are credited for inspiring and advancing historic climate policies like the Inflation Reduction Act. Today, we're joined by two leaders of the Sunrise Movement, Matthew Miles Goodrich and Aru Shinia Jay. Miles was one of the founders of the movement and leads fundraising. Aru has been involved since she was 19 and now leads Sunrise's strategy. They're both inspiring representatives of the bold vision and commitment that's made Sunrise so successful and that we all need to bring to climate work. Lots to learn and think about in this one. Enjoy. Miles and Aru, welcome to Invested in Climate. So glad to have you both here today. Thanks for having us, Jason. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Really excited to be speaking with you today. Great. Where are each of you dialing in from? I am in Brooklyn where we're having a little post-Labor Day heat wave and been very sweaty here and climate change is definitely on my mind right now. Yeah. I bet. What about you, Aru? I'm calling in from Los Angeles. I recently moved here. I grew up in Minneapolis. So yeah, I'm excited to be here, excited to be calling in. Fantastic. Well, we're covering the coast and really excited for this conversation. Sunrise Movement's an organization that I've been excited to learn more about for some time and so thrilled that we finally got you on the podcast. Let's get started with learning just a bit about each of you. Miles, will you kick us off and tell us a bit about just your background, the role that you play with Sunrise, and how you got involved? So my name is Matthew Miles Goodrich. Mostly it's my mom that calls me Matthew. Everyone else calls me Miles. I'm a writer. I'm an organizer. And like really, like I'm an all-around believer in the genius of young people. I think like a lot of people at Sunrise, I've played many different roles since we launched in 2017. I actually built our first website. That was like the first role that I held in, in that era. I knocked doors for AOC 
when we were helping to get her elected as New York State Director in 2018. And I've been more recently helping build the movement ecosystem for the Green New Deal as fundraising director. And I have the good fortune to serve on our senior leadership team now with Aru. In terms of my story, I really think it begins with the most important person in my life, who's my father. He was actually diagnosed with a form of cancer in 2004. And I remember being a kid and being just extremely worried about him in that era. That era was also the time where I saw firsthand the ability of politics to sort of impact my life, even as a 10-year-old. My dad likes to say that 2008 was the year that both bankrupted him and saved his life. Bankrupted because the value of our house tanked during the financial crisis of 2008. And the federal government stepped in to bail out the banks, but not everyday Americans like my dad. It was 2008 was also the year that President Obama was elected, and that set the stage for the Affordable Care Act to pass, and that really was instrumental in getting my dad the treatment that he needed that saved his life. I tell that story because it really teaches me that the federal government can be a force for good in the lives of everyday people, but it largely has not chosen to take up that force for good because of choices made by millionaires and billionaires that rig the economy in their favor. So I've spent my young adult life so far building a movement that can really make the government work for my generation by tackling the climate crisis. Thank you for sharing, Miles. Aru, what about you? Yeah, my name is Aru Shania Jay. I'm 25 years old. I have been organizing with Sunrise now since I was 19. I first found out about Sunrise when it was first launched, and I remember very vividly going to my first Sunrise training and seeing this slide that was like, in order to stop climate change, we need to change everything. Therefore, we need to take over. And it was like this bright yellow slide. And I was pretty much hooked since then. I started by like starting a hub in my college and then starting a hub in my hometown of Minneapolis. I was a volunteer for two years. And then I started running our trainings program as a fellow where we trained tens of thousands of people in the Sunrise strategy and culture and how to start their own hubs. Then I led a two-year strategic redesign process, and now I'm our deputy campaignster. I didn't really grow up with climate as one of the main things that I was thinking about. My parents are from a state in southern India called Kerala. I was very much raised to think about, I remember going back every year and seeing the intense inequality that I saw both within India and between India and the US. And that was something that I really grew up caring a lot about. And to me, climate change sort of seemed more like a, it's important that people are recycling, important that people care about the polar bears, but it's not really my thing. And when I was in late high school and early college, I feel like a series of events happened that really changed that for me. One was, I happened to be in the Netherlands for a little bit during the Syrian refugee crisis. And I did a lot of work with refugees there. And I also was often mistaken as Syrian in the Netherlands because of some of the racism and xenophobia at that time. And seeing the way that a climate field drought could cause this intense civil war and intense waves of xenophobia and human rights crises, I think was really awakening for me. And the other thing that happened was that I was in India during one of the worst years for air pollution in Delhi, where their pollution, the AQI actually broke 999. So it broke the index of what was possible with air pollution. And I remember working in Delhi at the time and going down the streets and feeling the sweat on my neck and feeling like so clear that the climate crisis wasn't in the future, that it was already here. That really called me to take action. I felt really clear that my 
role as a U.S. citizen and also as someone with ties to people who will be really deeply affected was right here and pushing our country to do the most that it possibly can in the face of the climate crisis. And some of those really clarified for me that this feels like my life's calling. Aru, thank you. And Miles, thank you. Both very personal and powerful stories and really grateful that you shared them here. Let's turn now and learn a bit more about Sunrise, the organization. And Miles, as a founding member, would love to hear a bit about the origin and history of the organization. We love telling stories at Sunrise, so I'm going to jump into a little bit more of a story. I still remember Hurricane Irene. I don't think a lot of people remember Hurricane Irene. It's not one of the big name ones, but Hurricane Irene tore through New England where I was living in August 2011, like a few weeks before I was going to college. A tree in my family's backyard fell right onto our house, and I remember huddling in the basement with my two sisters. I remember the, the fear that we were feeling. And I also remember learning about climate change in my environmental science class, and I was like, sounds like it's here. And as I like packed up my bags to go to college and like seeing just like the house that I grew up in be violated in that way, I knew that I, I had to do something about this. And I wasn't quite sure what that thing was going to be, right? Like I had built a composting system in my high school because I was an Eagle Scout, right? Like that didn't really feel like it was enough. But then I found, I found organizing. I found being like joining up with other young people to make change in those communities, I started one of the first fossil fuel divestment campaigns on my college campus in 2012. The youth movement in that era was scoring some impressive victories, right? We helped stop the Keystone XL pipeline, for example. I knew a lot of people in the movement at the time that felt that this wasn't going to be enough. We weren't going to be able to fight pipeline by pipeline or college endowment by college endowment in order to tackle the enormity of the climate crisis. A group of young people from across the different disparate parts of the movement, members of the divestment activists of that era, statewide student coalitions, direct action infrastructure groups, GC lobby shops, came together and sort of like the hatch a plan, a last sort of moonshot for this is how we're going to make the federal government care about climate change, like actually face the scale of the crisis that we're going through as young people. Around that era, I was living in New Hampshire, and this was 2016, and I was organizing around climate change during the 2016 primary. And I saw from organizing there both the rise of Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump, these two very different visions for, for country and for climate action, ultimately, and also like the relative impotence of the climate movement in making a difference either way. And it felt very disempowering, right? I had been organizing on my college campus for fossil fuel divestment to get my college to stand up to the fossil fuel industry. But then in the sort of quote unquote real world, climate change was barely an issue on the campaign trail. The young people who were starting Sunrise knew that the federal government was the only vehicle that could really move the economy to decarbonize at the scale and the speed that we needed to avert the catastrophe that we knew we were coming. And when Donald Trump was elected. It was a shock to us as it was a shock to, I think, a lot of America. And it was a real like, oh shit moment. I remember the visceral disappointment in our political leaders and movement leaders and the sense that no one's coming to save us, right? Like the young people have to do this ourselves. And so we sort of accelerated the launch of Sunrise in order to help capture some of that resistance energy that was alive in that era. And tell us how it's grown. Sunrise is now a well-recognized leader in climate advocacy and particularly in engaging young people. Give us a sense of the reach that you've achieved and how it's been so successful at getting young people involved in climate action. When I think about the meaning of our success, two major things come to mind. One is that 
we kind of stopped bullshitting people. And two, we offered an inspiring vision for what young people could do. For all my life, there's been a lot of propaganda about climate action, right? Like funded by the fossil fuel industry, basically, right? The idea of your own personal carbon footprint, the idea of taking shorter showers or turning off light bulbs will somehow scale to the climate crisis. That was all fossil fuel propaganda that was very prevalent in the sort of era that I was growing up in. It really meant to blame consumers for the choices that they didn't even have, right? There wasn't actually a viable source of clean energy for the most part. And those climate solutions were offered by places like my college or my high school. And it's false, right? Those are the false solutions. And Sunrise, I think, really called it out, called it what it was, which was propaganda. And I could really offer a different vision. I think the flip side to that is that inspiring vision that isn't just propaganda, that is something that is worth fighting for. That's something that brings people in, it unites us, and it makes a big ask of people. At Sunrise, our, our calling card is the Green New Deal, which means investing in working people. It means using the levers of the federal government to supercharge the clean energy economy, to bring back good union jobs to this country. It's holding fossil fuel executives accountable. It's investing in communities on the front lines of fossil fuel pollution. It's investing in the places that have been left behind by deindustrialization. And it's putting racial and economic justice like right at the core of climate action. It's asking young people to band together that if we work together, we can do incredible things. We can make this vision of the country possible. And only if we come together, like that's our pitch. And I think that's really has been key to Sunrise's success over the last few years. Well, certainly inspiring and congratulations. It's one thing to launch an organization and another to build it into what Sunrise has become. So thank you, Miles. Aru, I'd love to hear your take on Sunrise's success at engaging young people. And why do you think the organization has gathered so much momentum? I'll start with what Miles ended with. I think the vision is a really key part of why we've been successful. And specifically, I think that young people have an ability to not be bound by what society says is possible or not. One thing I think about a lot in terms of the climate crisis is that people often ask me, like, do you think we can stop it? Is it possible? Are we going to be able to actually do something? And the only thing that is in our way is ourselves. Like scientifically, it is possible to mobilize everything we need. We have the resources. We can do it, except for the ways that our society has set up its own barriers. And I think young people are able to see what is possible and demand the full scope of change in a way that adults, I think, are really often scared to. They're scared that we're not going to win. They're scared that we're going to get told no. You actually have to be really bold if you're going to face down this scale of vision. I think that has attracted a lot of people to us, is the boldness of our vision, the willingness to hope and believe, and the willingness to be committed to the scale of transformation that is necessary to stop the climate crisis. I think the two pieces that go along with that is that, one, is we have a really strong commitment to winning. I think that's something that often gets lost in climate spaces. It gets really easy to be pulled down by feeling sad and feeling like really doomed. And I think something I love about Sunrise is that we are really trying to win. We're trying to like be able to take over governing power in our country and govern the country in this new vision of the Green New Deal. And I think that inspires people. It's not just about oh, being able to change something small. It's about being able to like take full control of what is needed in order to be able to like stop the climate crisis and create millions of good jobs and actually make sure that we're going to be safe throughout the crisis. 
And then the other thing I'd add is I think we have we know how to have a lot of fun and hope and joy in our organizing. We have principles that help us keep our culture. And our last principle is we are full of determination, fire, and hope. And I really love that one because I think it gets to some of the ways that you have to pull on some really deep emotional resources to keep that hope alive. And some of my favorite memories at Sunrise are like dancing with people to pop songs or like singing songs together or late night conversations about nothing and everything and movement strategy and relationships and gossip and all of it. And I think that cultural piece is actually also really key to what has helped Sunrise grow, that people have found a movement home. Sunrise reflects so many things right out of the playbook of good movement building for anyone that's studied movement development. There's an optimistic vision, you have clear goals, well-defined principles, and something that you haven't mentioned yet is a distributed structure. And that's something that I'm curious to learn a bit more about and really understand how many people have been involved in Sunrise and how are you able to manage a volunteer army like you have? That was something else I was thinking about in response to this question. I think one of Sunrise's great strengths is that we offer on-ramps for any young person anywhere who is freaked out about the climate crisis to get involved. And we say, like, actually, if you care, you can join. You can start a hub where you are. You can join one of our volunteer teams. There's a way for you to organize with us. And I think that is tremendously helpful And it's like meaningful action as well. It's not just, will you sign this petition? It's actually, will you start a hub with people around you? Will you push for bold things where you are? And you're part of a bigger vision altogether. So that's what you call distributed organizing. It's it's some of the like anyone, anywhere can participate. And one of the things that we try and do to help people be able to participate in distributed organizing, we try and keep things really simple. And we really make sure that people have a lot of autonomy. So one of our biggest things is we believe that if you have a clear and simple DNA of like, great, you are here to fight for the Green New Deal. Maybe there's this very basic template campaign that you're running and we'll give you like a handful of resources, some guides, some access to maybe a coach. Those things will be there. But beyond that, you have a lot of autonomy in how you run your campaign. I think that's often the key is like you have to have the clear blueprint of the DNA and then a lot of runway for people to like do what they need to do and can do to adapt their campaign to where they are. And that often means like sometimes a hub will start doing amazing things for a year and then the leaders will graduate from college and then it won't be so active after that. But it allows a lot of people to like come in, take action and grow. Sunrise has had at our peak at around 300 hubs. Right now we have around 200 hubs. It's been a really amazing experience to help all of our hubs grow and see all the young people who want to take action. And it's always changing and growing and in flux. And that's a really exciting part of it as well. Wow. Two to 300 hubs. That's a lot. Any sense of how many total people have been involved in Sunrise? I think we've trained around 35,000 young people since 2017. And I think just to say more than that many are involved because not everyone comes through the doors of our training. So, but that's the number we have. Okay, great. Well, of course, Sunrise has done much more than provide a way for young people to be involved in climate action. It's had a real impact too. Miles, I'd love to hear uh, if you could tell us some of the wins and progress that Sunrise has helped achieve. It's impossible to answer this question without sort of going back into a time machine and thinking about just... Another story. Yeah. Well, another story, right? How dire the state of climate was in 2016. There was an attempt from the Obama administration to pass a very technocratic cap and trade, it was called, legislation that would basically 
create a market for the parts per million of carbon in the atmosphere that a corporation spewed didn't pass. We basically said, we're not going to do that anymore. This was the era when I was organizing on my college campus. And it felt like everything that we were doing was not adding up to the scale of the problem. If you fast forward a little bit to 2016, there was not a single question about climate change at the presidential debates throughout the entire campaign. And as someone who had been organizing around climate change for the last few years, as someone that experienced a climate disaster coming through my home and feeling scared for that moment, I was frustrated and I was furious. If you fast forward even further into 2020, you have Joe Biden, no one's idea of a Green New Deal champion, talking like a sunriser. He's saying, when I think climate change, I think jobs. Instead of no questions during the presidential debates, we had major news networks hosting entire forums on climate change. And I attribute that to the success Sunrise Movement had in asking presidential candidates to write down, what is your climate plan? How are we going to create a race to the top that lifts, that like blows the lid off climate ambition? That instead of thinking, what's the barest minimum that we can do? What's the biggest, boldest thing that we can do? And like really use the presidential primary as a means to scale up the vision of climate action. And I think the results speak for themselves, right? Like Joe Biden knew that he had a mandate to act on climate change because young people turned out for him at record numbers, right? We asked all the presidential candidates to refuse money from fossil fuel industries and to start laying out their plans for the climate crisis. And I think it's largely because of that, that climate was the centerpiece of Joe Biden's agenda in his first term. Yeah. And not just his campaign, but we've seen real progress and many credit Sunrise and the other organizations behind the Green New Deal for helping inspire some real major climate achievements of the Biden administration, particularly the Inflation Reduction Act. Tell us more specifically about the role that you see Sunrise having in this particular policy achievement and also the impact you see the IRA and other recent climate policies having. Looking at the Inflation Reduction Act, it's really clear that a bill like this would have been impossible without movements like Sunrise. The Inflation Reduction Act is a really big shift in how our country has thought about climate change. It's the first time that we're actually seeing the government playing a big role in what climate policy should look like. Before then, a lot of the discourse around climate policy really was limited to market-based mechanisms. I think the Inflation Reduction Act really stepped in and said, actually, this is a crisis of unimaginable proportions. The government needs to be able to step in and use the full force of the federal government in particular, but also state and local governments to be able to mobilize towards facing this crisis. And that is really an intervention that I think Sunrise really profoundly made. I think you can see the, the fingerprints of the Green New Deal in the Inflation Reduction Act is really clear to me. I think one of the pieces where that shows through the most is in the approach to jobs. 10 years ago, climate and jobs were put at polar opposites of a scale. People were asked questions like, if stopping climate change means hurting the economy, which would you choose? And that was one of the main Republican talking points. I think what the Green New Deal did and what Sunrise did is actually say, no, these things, they actually go hand in hand. Stopping climate change will require a full mobilization of our economy, will require creating millions of jobs, and actually not stopping climate change is what would cause enormous and unimaginable economic damage. I think that's something the IRA also really reckons with. It's like good paying, unionized jobs are part of the vision for how we stop climate change. And that's one of the clearest through lines that I see. And I also, a lot of this was from what Sunrise did in 2019 and 2020 by setting the stage for the Green New Deal. But we also did a lot of campaigning in 2021 
for the original version of the Inflation Reduction Act, Build Back Better, we had we had hundreds and hundreds of people taking action at their Congress people's houses and at their offices. We did like office sit-ins. We did three like thousand mile treks in California and the Gulf South and Pennsylvania, where people were like walking thousands of miles, calling on Biden to pass Build Back Better, and. We even had a few of our members go on hunger strike calling on Biden and Manchin to call the deal. And I think sometimes the way that media reports on these things, it becomes like a Manchin and Biden and Schumer made this deal happen. And I think the reality is that none of it would have happened without the incredible work of young people in and out of Sunrise taking leaps of courage and faith and pushing themselves to do things that they never believed were possible. And that's not always the story that's told, but it's the story that I really believe it. we wouldn't be in this place without all of those people. Yeah, I think without the Green New Deal, there is no Inflation Reduction Act. There is no Chips and Science Act. There is no supercharging of the clean energy economy. I'm not going to tell a story this time, but I do want to throw some political science terms around. At Sunrise, we like to talk about political alignments. Political scientists call them like policy regimes. I think that like, I like to think of it just like, it's the common sense of the day, right? It's the, the sort of intellectual frameworks at hand, right? In 2010, when Obama was president, the sort of dominant policy regime was this neoliberal idea that, oh, the market will fix the problem, right? That climate change is just a market failure. And if we can properly price carbon through a cap and trade bill, we can fix the problem. Turned out that was politically toxic, that the industry would not actually accept that. And it didn't end up getting anywhere at all. And one of the big lessons from that fight was that you actually needed a strong grassroots mobilized base in order to break through all of the special interests and all of the fossil fuel dollars that are are awash in our political system. What Sunrise was able to do, I think, was sort of move the locus of gravity, the center of gravity in our politics away from is climate change happening to, well, climate change is here. What are we doing about it? And really sort of push the overton window open in terms of what political possibility meant. Going back to that idea of political alignments is that Bidenomics is a actually like a particular rejection of Reaganomics, right? We're in a new macroeconomic era, thanks to a lot of the work that Sunrise has done in order to popularize ideas like the Green New Deal. And I think the one thing I would add to that in terms of like where we are in the political realignment process, there are some really important steps that have been taken of moving away from the market-only view of how we need to stop climate change. And I think there is a particular role, the difference between the IRA and the Green New Deal to me, one is about scale, as in we just need to do a lot more to decarbonize our economy. But the other is about really investing in our public sector and our social safety net. And I would say those are the pieces of the political realignment that we are continuing to really push. Of like, We need a federal government that's able to decarbonize at scale. And in order to do that, we need to invest in our public sector and we need to invest in our social safety net to create the type of society that will be able to respond rapidly to the climate crisis. Ultimately, the Inflation Reduction Act was a compromise with a literal coal baron, right? It was Joe Manchin who makes millions of dollars out, out of his coal plant in a blind trust, whatever it is. And so while we were able to sort of supercharge the clean energy economy, the power of the fossil fuel industry is as strong as it's ever been. And I think that we're going to have to really reckon with that in order to move the needle even further and make the Green New Deal real. Absolutely. Well, I certainly remember those many months while we were waiting for the climate deal to happen. And I remember reading about young climate activists doing sit-ins in the congressional offices and doing what it took to keep the pressure on leaders. And I felt grateful then, and I'm certainly grateful now. So thank you for all that work behind the scenes. 
I'd love to shift focus and hear a bit about your current strategy. What are some priorities for you right now? I'm really excited to talk about this. I'd like to start by situating us a little bit in the political moment that we are in now, which is a pretty different political moment than when Sunrise started. As I'm sure many of us are aware, we really see this threat right now of a rising extremist right wing in this country. And that extremist right wing is not only hell-bent on obstructing every type of climate progress possible, but it's also really looking to take away a lot of people's rights, to strip back our democracy, to be able to do everything they can to enable minority rule of our government by a very elite few. And I think that is a huge threat to our ability to stop the climate crisis, bluntly. That's something Sunrise has really been reckoning with as we design our strategy. I think the other piece of that is that this threat of the rising right and climate change, they're not disconnected. They're actually very deeply tied together. One, because that faction is trying to do everything they can to stop climate progress. I don't know if you've seen the report recently about the plan of what Trump plans to do if he wins in 2024 and the plan to like roll back all these climate regulations and limit our ability to actually move to clean energy. It's really, really scary stuff. But also because I actually think as climate disasters increase, they will become an excuse for people to actually further privatize the economy, further stoke racial divisions and use excuses to put up more barriers, be more exclusionary, become, in my opinion, a harsher, worse, more unkind society. So I see these things as really tied. I believe that in the next 10 years or so, we have some choices that will determine the future of our country and the world in really profound ways. And most specifically, we have, I think, a choice about what type of society we want to be, that as things get harder, as climate change gets worse, as food prices go up, as all these things happen, will we actually be the type of people who can turn to our neighbors, who can take care of each other? Will we build a government that is invested in everyone being able to survive this crisis and get through it and actually like, maybe I believe it can even be an opportunity for a much better healthier type of society? Or will we let the right actually rise and be able to turn us against each other? I'm thinking about like, increased border security. I'm thinking about like the type of accusations of looting that happened after Katrina really rising. I think there's a lot of ways in which this could be really dangerous. So that's sort of the background for our strategy. And what that means in practice is that we are really committed to exposing the role of fossil fuel elites and the right wing and the way that they are actually in bed with each other and are enabling the climate crisis in really major ways. And we think we need to really articulate the vision of the Green New Deal, including what it means, how it would change the everyday lives of people. It make it really a kitchen table issue for people to say, actually, I see ways that the Green New Deal could make sure that I have a good paying job, make sure that my house isn't leaking when a storm comes, make sure that my school has air conditioning. Just last week, a lot of schools didn't have access to air conditioning and, and weren't in session. So that's the type of like vision that we want to set forward. And we're running three campaigns to make that possible. We're running a Green New Deal for Schools campaign where we have high schoolers all across the country mobilizing to win Green New Deals for their school districts. Society gets built in our schools, and we believe that having a Green New Deal in our schools will 
not only make sure that our students are able to learn and learn about the climate crisis, but also make sure that we are building the type of society that can weather the crisis that we're facing. We have our Green New Deal for Communities campaign, where we're basically making sure that we are going locally and winning the Green New Deal in our towns and cities and really popularizing it where we are. And then all of that builds up towards our national campaign. So we, we always say like we're running local campaigns to win federal power in the long run. So our national campaign right now, we're pushing for Biden to declare a climate emergency. And we also are ready when the opportunity comes to be able to push for further legislation around the Green New Deal, whatever that may be. Thanks, Saru. You mentioned the campaign to push President Biden to declare a climate emergency. And I'm curious, why is that important? He's already been working on climate in many ways. So why is declaring an emergency actually needed and what would it lead to? The emergency powers were basically originally designed so that in times of enormous crisis, the president was able to act nimbly and use the full force of the economy to be able to face crises that perhaps Congress or the legislature might be too slow to respond to. And that's basically exactly the type of moment that we are in right now. We have seen the gridlock of our Congress. We have seen the degree of crisis. This is really a moment where Biden needs to be able to use his full executive authority. So that's why we're calling on Biden to declare a climate emergency. And basically declaring the climate crisis as emergency unlocks a whole suite of executive powers in various areas. One of the ones that I'm most excited about is that it unlocks the Defense Production Act, which allows us to like really invest in our clean energy economy to build out rail systems and make sure that we have more public transport. It would be a huge job creation bonus as well. That's one of the areas that I'm most excited about. It would also, Biden could use emergency powers to cancel oil leases and stop drilling, which could be a really powerful thing. And he already took one step towards that recently, as you might have seen in Alaska. Another area that I'm really excited about within our climate emergency campaign is the Civilian Climate Corps, which would basically create thousands and thousands of jobs doing the type of everyday work that we need to, to actually rework our economy. So that might range from building new clean energy to preparing our communities to be climate disaster resilient. There's a lot more that he could do. I won't, there's like a whole list of executive actions that he could undertake with the climate emergency. But to me, the heart of it is we need every tool at our disposal right now. This is the greatest crisis that humanity has ever faced and we need to be using the full toolbox. And this is just like unlocking the toolbox that will help us be able to respond to this emergency. Let's zoom out for a second and consider the different levers for change that you have as an organization. How do you think about the different ways that you might be impactful? Is there a specific theory of change that's guiding your work? And how do you set priorities given the wide range of action you might take? In Sunrise, we talk about our two-pronged theory of change around building people power and political power. Within people power, obviously, people throw that phrase around a lot. One of the things I really felt inspired by when I first joined Sunrise is our understanding of using what we call moral protest to really bring in hundreds of people and bring the urgency of the climate crisis to the public. We take escalated moral action a lot. That might range from our sit-in in Nancy Pelosi's office that first helped put the Green New Deal on the map to the hunger strike that we did around Build Back Better to like various office occupations. And I think the role that that plays 
for us is not only to pressure the people in power and tell them that like we will not be stopping, that we are actually demanding this full vision and you need to give it to us, but also to actually inspire hundreds of other young people who are watching us and help the people who maybe are a little bit more neutral to help choose our side. And we call that term polarization. So we say we deliberately take escalated moral protest that helps polarize society towards us and choose the vision of the Green New Deal, choose climate action. So that's one way that I really believe in our strategy to build people power. We also take very seriously the bread and butter of organizing, the door knocking, the conversations, the phone calls. I don't think there's any way to win without doing a lot of those and really building those relationships and doing the hard work, boots on the ground. And then the second piece of our theory of change is political power. We really see governing power as essential to winning the scale of our vision. And that means changing the common sense, as Miles was talking about earlier. It means electing people. It means pushing our politicians. It basically means like not shying away from the various levels of power that we have. And I think that some of Sunrise's most meaningful work has been in being able to elect people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Jamal Bowman, and really making sure that we have allies in Congress who are also able to push for the scale of our vision. And then also putting people on notice who are maybe a little less inclined to work with us. Like I think seeing the way that politicians like Chuck Schumer have moved over the last few years on climate has been a really amazing thing to watch, especially knowing how much of that is through Sunrise's ability to push the envelope. So we take our political power, which is not just about politicians, but about our government overall very seriously as well. One of the ways that young people have pursued climate action is also through the judicial system, taking the bold action of suing for their rights to a clean, livable planet. And recently, there was a breakthrough in winning a major case. I'm, of course, talking about the lawsuit against the state of Montana. How does Sunrise see this sort of climate action? And what do you think will be the implication of the Montana case? I was really excited when I saw that. I remember seeing it. It was like popping up in all of my different group chats. It's sort of like the toolbox thing that I was mentioning earlier. We need every single tool in our toolbox. Sunrise is really focused on particularly the legislative side of our government, executive side of our government. And I think that we need people who are going to be pushing on the judicial angle. We need people who are going to be thinking about climate finance. We need people who are going to be thinking about the cultural ways that we need to shift. And I felt really excited to see the Montana case's victory because it's really going to take all of us pushing at every lever that we have. I'm really hopeful that this opens up more states to follow suit and more young people to follow suit. I also think it has the powerful effect of helping young people believe in themselves and our ability to change things. And I feel really, I think that's a lot of the battle is telling people that actually change is possible. We can win if you choose to take action. And that was one of the reasons I was most excited about that case. Thanks, Ru. I think it puts the agency in the hands of young people in a new way that I'm really excited to to see if it goes viral. When I think about the Montana court case, I think of the landmark civil rights case, Brown versus Board of Education, right? And just establishing a baseline right to a healthy environment or to a healthy climate. And having one foot in the door in Montana might allow us to integrate that right into different state constitutions, right? And sort of establish, actually, we do have this right. And I think that there's a lot of effects from that that we don't know about, right? Like maybe that's going to open up the door to a federal lawsuit against the fossil fuel industry, for example, for 
for decades, knowing about the climate crisis and lying about it. So I think that we don't actually fully know the full implications of something like this, but I think it's a really positive, a really positive sign of development that establishes some baseline tactic or some baseline case law, I guess, that we can then build on as organizers. Miles, from your comments, and not just that last one, but several times, you've made reference to really our moments in history and how this climate movement fits into a transition in history. And of course, history is punctuated not just by big ideas, but also moments. And we're recording this episode right ahead of Climate Week, which is coming up. And there'll be a series of different events, COP following that, the presidential election in 2024. I'm curious, as you look ahead to the calendar, what are some of the moments that you think will be really pivotal for the climate movement and the progress that you're seeking? That's a great question. I am every day thinking about the deadline of, of 2030. Oh, we actually don't have a whole lot of time before we are supposed to drastically cut our fossil fuel emissions. And thanks to the Green New Deal, thanks to young people, and thanks to the IRA, we're a good way of the way there, but we're by no means all the way there. And the next person who's elected president is going to be in office for, I mean, depending on depending on what happens, four more years, right? That's going to take us all the way through 2028. I think the next election is going to be absolutely pivotal for a sense of a healthy and safe climate for, for everyone. That's just one that comes to mind. I think there's a big march coming up in the next couple of weeks that is really, I think, one of the biggest sort of moments of mobilization for the climate movement since COVID locked everything down, sort of all hands on deck moments to sort of show the world that the job's not finished on climate and that we really want Joe Biden and the rest of our leaders to step up to deliver more on climate change, deliver good jobs for all. That's another thing that I'm thinking of. Any specific hopes for Climate Week? We don't engage a lot with Climate Week, to be honest. My hope is only that I think the climate movement has been low in momentum since the passing of the Inflation Reduction Act. And I am really hoping that this could help jumpstart an era of actually elevating our action to the scale of the crisis again. And I know that that's what Sunrise has in store in the coming months and years. And it's exciting to see other groups also jumping on that. So I would say that's my hope is to really re-jumpstart the climate movement in our momentum. Aru, Miles, we've talked about the stakes. We've talked about your history talked about your recent progress and your current priorities and much more. I'd love to hear your thoughts now on the future. And in particular, what else do you think needs to happen to adequately address climate change? Wow, big question. I can start with that. I think the thing that I always remind myself is that the only thing that is stopping us from confronting the climate crisis is the prisons of our own imagination. And we actually need to be able to overhaul almost every sector of society, but that's very much in our power if every person who is freaked out about the climate crisis, which is a huge number of us, actually looks around them and says, okay, what am I going to change? And I don't just mean at the individual level, like, am I going to recycle more or drive less or whatever, but also what company do I work at? How can they change? What does my union do? What can it bargain for around the climate crisis? Like we all have power and it's a matter of tapping into it. So to me, that's the biggest thing. I'd say like, if you are listening and you are freaked out about the climate crisis, I can guarantee you that there are forms of action that you can take that are with other people that will help guarantee structural change. If you're young and you want to join the Sunrise Movement, come on over to our webpage and that's one way, but there are also many other ways. So that's really what I'd say is I'm like, I think it's about everyday people tapping into their own agency and power is the biggest thing that would make a difference. There's obviously a lot more that needs to change like politically and 
in our financial institutions and every other area. But to me, that's the baseline of what we need. Miles, what do you think? I think of the phrase to change everything, we need everyone, that there's something just absolutely very wrong about our world and that climate change is sort of the environment. It's the place where we live pushing back against us all and saying, you all have to change the way that you relate to each other. And so I think that my own journey in climate organizing has been a journey of sort of like reevaluating my own relationship with myself, with my loved ones, with my neighbors, with the people that I really care about. And I think that in order for us to win a future that is safe for all, where everyone has the right to clean air, clean water, good jobs, a good education is going to require all of us coming together and asking, what can we do? What are the superpowers that we all have in order to like fight for that vision together? I want that to be the question that everyone asks themselves to think, how can I be enlisted in this fight against climate change and this fight for a better future? Aru, Miles, thank you so much for the work that you're doing and for this really inspiring and informative conversation. Thank you so much for having us. It was really great to talk to you today. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Invested in Climate. Please remember to rate us on Apple, Spotify, or Google. Find show notes, sign up for updates, get in touch, and visualize your climate action at investedinclimate.com. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and does not constitute financial, accounting, or legal advice. Thanks again.